Today we find ourselves in Iberia Parish, Louisiana. It has a population of about 70,000 and is about two hours west of New Orleans. Iberia Parish is exactly as you're probably picturing a southern town in Louisiana. It is 56% land and 44% is covered in marshland, home to various creatures that aren't of the pet kind. It's about 20 miles from Baldwin, and this is where we find 15-year-old Kawan Charles. It appears that friends and family called Kwan Bobby, but his legal name is Kwan, and multiple police reports and articles have referred to him by his legal name. So for the purpose of this episode, I'll be referring to him as Kwan. This is a wild and weird story that will make you scratch your head multiple times. So let's dive into the story of Kwan Charles. I'm Stephanie Moram, and this is Wicked Ever After. Since this also goes on YouTube, there's a lot of words I cannot say, such as sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape. So in those moments, you might hear me on the podcast say S-A. So I just wanted to give a heads up that as you're listening, um, you might hear something a little bit different. And that's only because I want to be able to post this on YouTube. Please consider clicking the thumbs up button on this episode to help get the story out. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel or podcast. It really does help the algorithm when you like, subscribe, and share. If you want to see my face and all my reactions, be sure to head over to YouTube. And lastly, I do have Invisalign, so if I mispronounce any words, I apologize in advance. Quan loved the outdoors and his dog, who was always by his side. When Quan was gifted the dog, he immediately named him My Baby, which I think describes a lot about Quan's heart. He was described as being a sweet and loving kid, always making everyone smile. He did struggle a bit in school with dyslexia, and he had also just started a new school that September. His parents, Dad Kenneth Jacko and Mom Roxanne Charles Nelson, were not living together, so he went back and forth between their homes per their custody agreement. This might have been why he was a new kid, because perhaps one of his parents had moved to a different school district. Again, this is just a guess on my part, and it is totally unclear in the research. Being the new kid, Quan was trying to find his way, figure out who he was, and fit into his new school with his new peers. So on October 30th, 2020, the night before Halloween, Quan stayed with his dad, who lived in Baldwin. He planned to meet up with his friend Gavin Irvin, who was a 17-year-old white kid from his new school. Having made plans, Gavin and his mom Janet picked up Quan and drove him to their home so they could hang out, and this was around 3 p.m. Quan's dad, Kenneth, was not at home when this happened. He was out shopping. When Kenneth arrived home, a couple hours later, he found the dog, but there was no sign of his son. Alarm bells immediately went off because he never said he was going anywhere and he never left his dog, my baby, alone. He always brought him everywhere. However, Kenneth did vaguely remember Roxanne, Quan's mother, was maybe picking him up at three o'clock to take him for a haircut. So he assumed that perhaps there had just been a miscommunication. But on the same token, he did find it odd that he hadn't heard from Roxanne since she usually communicated with him whenever she picked up Quan. By 7 p.m., neither parent had heard or seen Quan. His mom also knew nothing of a haircut and had not picked him up at the house at 3 p.m. Starting to panic, Kenneth broke the lock on Quan's bedroom door and discovered the bedroom empty with no sign of where he might be. Now, at first, it seems like he was doing what a million teenagers do every day. You have a 15-year-old kid who was new to school had met an older friend who might be able to help him fit in with his new peers. 
He had lied to his dad about a haircut appointment as a ruse to be able to hang out with his new friend, and he had locked his door to perhaps cover his tracks. But how long was Kwan planning on being gone, and why wasn't he communicating or home yet? Most teenagers plan this out so they aren't caught, but it seems like Kwan had been silent and gone far too long, so it's a little odd. After Kenneth found no evidence of his son's whereabouts in his room, the parents decided it was time to report him missing to the Baldwin police. At that point, Kwan had been missing for about four hours, but since Kenneth wasn't sure how long he had been gone while he was out shopping, it's really unclear how long he had actually been gone before it was reported. Unfortunately, as we've seen a lot of these cases, the police didn't take the report too seriously. They said he was probably out with a friend or went to a football game and would be home in no time. They didn't seem to care too much about the fact he was a minor and he wasn't picking up a cell phone. And they refused to do anything for the panicked parents. The fact that he wasn't picking up a cell phone, to me, is an indication that maybe something fishy happened. As a matter of fact, it took the police three days to even begin to pay Kwan's phone, something you think they could have and should have done the second his parents reported him missing. But again, we've seen this script before. And what's frustrating is just how long three days is when it comes to cases like this. Three minutes is crucial, let alone three days when you're trying to locate someone that is possibly missing and in danger. So this continued inaction by police in some of these cases is super frustrating. During those three days, the local news was never notified, no search was started, and the local police took zero action. On November 3rd, a few days after he went missing, the Iberia Parish Police were made aware of his disappearance. Remember Baldwin, where Quan was, is about 20 minutes away from Iberia Parish. So this would have been the neighboring district, and it's normal for the police to alert the surrounding jurisdictions to be on the lookout for a missing person. Unlike the Baldwin police, Iberia Parish police immediately started a search for Quan in their area. They started their search at his friend Gavin's house, which was actually a mobile home. Now, it's interesting to note here that the police learned from a third party that the Urbans had picked up Quan that afternoon. It's unclear when this was reported or who the third party was. So the Iberia Parish police spoke to Gavin and his mom, Janet, and Janet reported that she did pick him up around three and then brought him back to their mobile home. She went on to say that Gavin and Quan smoked some weed in the house, but after a while, Quan ran away from the house. She didn't give a reason to why he ran away. So again, it's unclear if there was an argument or something between the two friends. She just gave zero reasons, just saying he ran away after smoking pot. That's really odd. She also apparently didn't feel the need to call or contact Quan's parents. I mean, if you're the adult and a 15-year-old kid just got high and randomly ran away from your house without saying where he was going and wasn't even close to his home, you think you would call his parents after he didn't return. And if she didn't know the parents or have a way to contact them, you'd think she would have called the police at that point so they could find him and make sure he was okay. The only other thing I can think of is that she knew Quan hadn't told his parents about them, so maybe she was helping cover for him. I don't know. It just seems really odd. It seems like when he didn't show back up, you'd be concerned enough to get help. It just, again, is so weird. A few hours after police met with Janet and Gavin, they discovered Kwan's body in a sugarcane field in Iberia Parish, which again is about 20 minutes away from his dad's house. The fact that he was found in a sugarcane field just makes me literally nauseous. Kwan's parents were informed and an autopsy was performed. The sheriff shared the preliminary autopsy results with Kenneth and Roxanne, 
and said muddy water was found in his airways and his lungs were hyperinflated. So the official cause of death was ruled a drowning. Okay, maybe Kwan had wandered off, was high, it got dark, and accidentally fell into a marsh and drowned. Might make sense, except for the fact that his body was found in a sugarcane field and not the marsh. And not just that. When Kwan's parents were shown images of his body, I assume for identification purposes, they saw that their son's face had been brutally beaten. His teeth were cracked outside of his mouth. His lips had almost disappeared. And there were scratches all over his face, along with other wounds and abrasions. The autopsy also noted these, but the ME chalked those up to aquatic activity. So basically, what I'm gathering from this report is that the ME is saying that Quan drowned in a sugarcane field. Alligators or some other land-based aquatic creature, make that make sense, beat up his face after he drowned. This is the oddest thing I've ever heard. His body was found near a drainage ditch in the sugarcane field. And since it was November, which is Louisiana's rainy season, there was about two feet of water in that ditch at that time. So it is believable that he could have had water in his lungs from that. But to drown in two feet of water is really hard to believe unless someone had held his head down or something. Unless he was high and he tripped and fell unconscious and drowned. But that doesn't explain why his face looked the way it did. After seeing the photos, Roxanne, his mom, ran out of the room, unable to look at her son anymore. She said that it looked like Quan had been tortured before his death, which is not how people who have drowned typically look. I'm not sure I've ever heard someone described as a drowning victim as looking that they'd just been tortured. One of the parents' attorneys, Ronald Haley, a civil rights attorney, argued that the cause of death, quote, if he did in fact die of drowning, and we are saying that as an if, we are calling into question how that actually happened to someone who is five foot six typically drown in two feet of water. No, not unless there's another cause associated with it. End quote. On November 17th, police released security footage of Gavin and Janet arriving at Kenneth's house on the day they picked up Quan. He was seen sitting on the curb. And when Gavin and Janet pulled up, they went to the back of the house, likely to play with the dog, my baby. This is likely because apparently Gavin was the one who gave the dog to Quan. So this is also interesting because Kenneth swore he had never heard of or met Gavin or Janet, yet Gavin gave his dog to Quan. Like, how did this happen without him ever hearing of Gavin or his mom? Or maybe Quan just never mentioned their name, or maybe Roxanne knew them. I don't know. Again, just another really odd thing about this case. In the video, Gavin and Janet are seen returning to the front, and Quan willingly got into their vehicle. So there is no sign or evidence of kidnapping or any foul play at his house. On November 24th, police had still not classified Kwan's case as homicide. Still, they were investigating it as a homicide because that is protocol in, quote, any case involving someone found deceased in this manner, end quote. As part of their investigation, police were talking to people in Kwan's life and those who had seen him in his last hours as well as tracking his whereabouts in hopes of getting more information on what had happened that night. The family ordered an independent autopsy in hopes of figuring out what happened to their son. The independent autopsy was from a company called American Forensics. They discovered evidence of a possible drowning, which they noted the first autopsy had also reported. It stated that the Iberia Parish Coroner's Office exam, quote, appears thorough, end quote, but did not add anything to the original autopsy. However, the exact manner of Quan's death was still in question. 
The independent report also indicated no sign of trauma sustained or disease suffered while the teen was still alive. In February 2021, the official autopsy report was released, and it said that the injuries were consistent with drowning, but did not state a cause of death, stating that it could not be determined if the amount of water found in his lungs was enough to drown him. Toxicology reports did find small amounts of marijuana and alcohol in his system, but nothing else was found. No prescription medication and no other drugs. It was also believed he had done some mushrooms, but those didn't show up on the toxicology screen, so that's inconclusive. This disputes Irvin's family's claim he was high on mushrooms. This official autopsy report revealed that Quan's body was actually found naked, but there was no signs of SA, so that's also bizarre. It's also noted that no pre-mortem trauma or natural disease was seen. So again, it seems like they're all implying that he drowned in two feet of water. Then some sort of animal came, beat up his face or damaged his face in some way, but not any other part of his body. And to make this case even weirder, a video was shown to the public of Kwan's last known sighting and some eyewitness reports. He was seen on camera and by some eyewitnesses walking around alone and then crawling in culverts near the school that was in front of the sugar cane field. These witnesses said he became combative and threatened to kill himself after smoking marijuana and mushrooms. They indicated that it appeared Quan was experiencing some sort of psychosis. So it would make sense that maybe Quan was having some sort of mental health event and took off his clothes and maybe had a medical event, passed out, fell face down into the water, causing him to drown. This doesn't really explain the beating on his face, but maybe he hurt his face when he fell in the water, but it still doesn't make sense that he sustained these injuries post-mortem, according to the autopsy results. Toxicology results showed relatively low levels of alcohol and THC, the main active ingredient in marijuana, with no evidence of hallucinogenic mushrooms or synthetic substances. The attorneys for the Charles family said in a statement, they believe homicide remains the only reasonable explanation and there has long been enough evidence to make an arrest in the death of Charles. Case Trichel, one of the attorneys said, quote, if the scientific explanation is drowning, then okay, let's narrow the focus to how Quan came to drown in a sugarcane field. He was an able-bodied person before he was found face down in water that was ankle deep, end quote. The attorney suggested that the witnesses were merely trying to protect themselves with their accounts of what actually happened, as they're the last known people to see Quan alive. So everyone wants answers as to what really happened. If he drowned of his own doing, the family deserves to know what led up to that drowning and what really went on with Quan that night that led to his death. On February 9th, 2021, four months after Quan's death, Authorities arrested Janet Irvin on charges of failure to report a missing child and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. She was arraigned on February 16th and held on bond. In April of that same year, her bond was reduced and she was able to go home, but with an ankle monitor, and she could have zero contact with Kwan's family. The case has essentially gone cold. Kwan's family has demanded accountability from local law enforcement, saying that the law enforcement failed to act in the hours after they reported their son missing and that they believed his death could have been racially motivated. They criticized Baldwin police for not issuing an Amber Alert or News Alert or even pinging his phone until three days later. Quote, they could have done more. They didn't. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Had they done what they were supposed to do, my son would be alive today. I feel because my son was black, 
it didn't matter to them, end quote. Roxanne, Juan's mother, and she said that in an interview with ABC. The ACLU of Louisiana is joining the family in their call for justice, quote, the disrespect and lack of transparency demonstrated by local officials in response to Bobby's tragedy and suspicious death is unacceptable. We join the family in demanding a full and transparent investigation into the circumstances surrounding Bobby's death, end quote. I couldn't find any more updates on this case, and it doesn't appear there have been any new developments or leads since the arrest of Janet Irvin back in 2021. Kwan's parents are still demanding answers, and there's a petition and some other resources you can get involved in to help bring attention to this case. I will link all that information in the description. The cases that bring no closure are so frustrating, especially this one when many believe Kwan's death was racially motivated. I'm glad I could shine a light on his life and his death and hopes justice can be served and answers given to the family who miss him so much. Let me know your thoughts, theories, and opinions on the case in the comments. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. You can stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at this is Stephanie Moram. You can share your case suggestions with me by email, steph at stephaniemoram.co, or you can simply send me a DM. Thank you so much for listening to Kwan's story. Until next time, stay safe out there.